Emily, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And I'm Andrew. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The returning prodigal son. That's Hi, not Andrew. A good, that's not a good comparison, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna slay the fatted calf for you. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a big show. We're you know we're we're happy to have you back, even though you turned your back on us, and, low those many days ago. But now that I failed horribly out in the wide world and come back broke and destitute, <laughs> you're you're welcoming back with open arms and forgiveness is, in your heart. That oh. is exactly correct. <laughs> Meanwhile, open arms know, is definitely the right way of saying it. <laughs> Well, and as you can tell, Paul has already got his nose out of joint that, that you know, we're treating you so well when, when he has been here the whole time dedicating his life and work to the podcast. I feel like this right. is one of those situations where they bring someone in who quit years ago and they bring them in at higher pay than I than I have. Exactly. And I've that been here the whole time. Yeah, yeah. That is Absolutely. exactly what's happened. With and in cards. case Tim's listening, Andrew has business cards. <laughs> <laughs> See, see, Paul, I'm not technically an employee. I'm a consultant, therefore I get reimbursed at higher rate. Yeah, that's plus, true. He gets that $150 an hour consultant rate. Plus Correct. per diem. <laughs> <laughs> plus living expenses. <laughs> but anyway, all, it's not about all, the money. It's about All the of his books. drinks are comped at Chica's Locus. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's the straw. <laughs> and a free lap dance. But Aaron's the one performing the lap dance. Ah, well, I'm good. I'm good then. And, I, <laughs> and on that note, I'm good. <laughs> no more complaints. Well, we are glad to have you here, Andrew. And uh, we'll explain the special circumstances of your return later in the show. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> well, we should start off talking about this week's DVD, Blu-ray, digital release of Batman Death in the Family. The uh, you know we talked about this a little while back. It um, it's a DC animated short, so I don't I, I hesitate to call it a movie because at most I think the longest length it could be is about thirty one minutes. Um, but it's their interactive um, animated feature, I guess, and and there are seven different pa endings you can get. Uh, because throughout the movie, there are different parts where you can choose whether Jason lives, Jason dies, Batman dies, Jason kills Joker, Jason doesn't kill Joker. Like, there are all these choices throughout the movie that take you down different paths. Um, you get to choose Jason kills Batman? You do not. I don't think that's one of yeah, the options. That is one of the endings. Is it? Is it really? Wow. Maybe. I guess so. I don't know. I saw it earlier this week, and uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and throw the gauntlet down. I really didn't like it. Oh, wow. Because yeah. I loved it. Really? Yeah. I I didn't like every story, but I liked the interactive aspect of it, except for the fact that if you choose the original ending of Jason Dies, then that's the only choice you make. Yeah. And I think one of the other ones also, you maybe get one other choice and that's it. So they threw all of their development work down one path. And under that path, there's a bunch of choices, like four or five choices that all led different directions from there. They continually surprised me with some of the things they did. I just did not see certain things coming. And in the uh, the most brutal death ending, it was graphically drawn art wise, too. Yeah, I mean, I, so this movie is surprisingly rated R. Um and the, you know because they don't hold back on the blood oh, yeah. in, the, in the film. They, um, 
I, I think you made a good point, which is part of my issue with it, is that they, they, they threw all their resources into one path, whereas every other path in the feature felt, like, rushed to me. Especially, like, yep. the first ten minutes of the movie, which is basically just introduction. It's a series of recycled footage from the previous uh, Under the Red Hood movie, and, like, almost like motion comic still images, not actual animation. And that's and I was like, this feels like kind yeah. of slipshod. Now de- again, depending on what path you take, you get a, a, a bit more of a, a storyline. And there there are again seven different endings. I I feel like I would have enjoyed it a lot more if it was nine ninety nine instead of seventeen ninety nine. I guess. And I know that sounds like yeah. oh seven dollars, but you know it's it's a half hour movie. It's a it's a little no, bit. Just, it's a mini video game basically. I definitely see that, and I did all of the endings all. I continually just watched it and then went back because after you finish, it gives you a a thing where you can go back to the choices. And that I appreciated. I didn't have to start so, over from the beginning. Exactly. I didn't have to watch that beginning Batman thing. And like Paul say, it doesn't I wouldn't say it feels rushed, but it is there's a lot of telling versus showing. So narrating what happened. Like the whole death of robin leading up to that is narrated more than shown so mm-hmm. if you haven't actually seen under the red hood or you haven't watched it in years you know that story is really condensed because it's just trying to get you to the point of that choice of either jason dies jason cheats death or batman saves jason yeah so, you know based on i'm sorry and I, Aaron, I think you're about to ask a question but for me based I, on which path you took None of the stories feel fully fleshed out because, again, the maximum length is a half an hour. So how did you guys watch it? Blu-ray, digital? I read the day before it came out that the digital was not interactive. I don't know if that's ah, that accurate. Was my que- that was my question. Okay. So I bought it Blu-ray. But, Wayne, you wow. pre-ordered it digitally, didn't you? No, pre-ordered Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. no, I did put the codes in, but I haven't watched it digitally. If it's not interactive, there's no point to it. Yeah, I, yeah, I read that, online that I, re- I went to the Amazon page to to pre-order the digital, and I read the reviews, and people are saying, you know, the, all these negative reviews are because the digital isn't interactive. You have to buy it on Blu-ray for the interactive features. Yeah, because yeah, I was I was curious as to how they would how they would integrate that digitally. So yeah. on the Blu-ray, do you have decision points that come up while the movie's going? And you you select a menu feature, or do, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. It'll uh, come to a point, and then it'll like pause, and a screen will pop up, and you have a certain amount of time to pick your choice mm-hmm. between two to three choices. Gotcha. Yeah, and it is um you know some some options are two options, some are three. Um, I, I, the interact I will say I have no problem with the interactivity of the feature. I think that it's a it's it's a fun experiment. My my main really my main qualm with it was just the um, the story right. If, if for me, you know, and I guess when you're go- going into an interactive movie and because of the cost of of producing an animated movie, it's not like you can have an hour and a half movie with decision points, right? That, that's just right. not cost conducive. Yeah. Right. But you know, sometimes I I click, you know, Robin kills Joker, and then and then you know that the the resolution of that storyline feels rushed. But I guess the whole point is that. It's a half-hour movie, right? It's it's an it's it's an interactive episode, a very special episode of Batman. The Are there Series. options where you know Jason and Joker become friends? No, no. What about <laughs> Batman and Joker? 
become friends. No, there, there's no yeah. happy. I will say there is pretty much only one ending that is lukewarmly happy. <laughs> the yeah, rest of them was, are pretty miserable. There was one that I thought, like the ending itself wasn't a happy ending, but it had a little bit more joy or hope because Clark Kent is there. Mm. And oh, so yeah. that always gives it a little bit of a lighter ending. But yeah, most of them are really horrible endings. You know, like <laughs> bad things happen. Yeah. And like violent, disturbing things. And Jason Todd is seriously a screwed up individual, some in more than others. I also think I might have been uh, influenced on whether I liked it or not more by the fact that the very first choice I made, I happened to go down the longest path. Ah. And every choice I made led to the longer path. So the very first one I did was the full, most complete story that they put the most work in. And then I went back and saw the snippets leading to the others. Well, that Overall, helps, right? Because I'd when you do that, you can go back to the different decision points in reverse. Because I will say that's one thing. If you go down the longest path and then go back to the first decision... You, you it erases your history kind of thing you're basically you know you're you're saving over your save points kind of thing yeah yeah i would say overall i think there were maybe there may have been an hour and a half worth of content if you when you add them all yeah. together because i watched all of them like i kept going back to the decision points so i could see every ending and every path I will say my biggest disappointment is that they replaced uh you know even though they used a lot of the same footage from um under the Red Hood, they replaced uh, Jensen Ackles as Red Hood. And, mm-hmm. you know, I actually found that kind of disappointing because I liked Jensen Ackles in that role. For the most part, most of the actors remained the same. Bruce Greenwood was still Batman. I think John DiMaggio was Joker, but I could be wrong on that. But, you know, Jensen Ackles, I really liked as that role. And I don't know who they got to replace him, but he basically sounded like a young Robin the entire time. Yeah, I would agree with that. He never gets really... The voice never sounds deeper aged or anything like that. So it didn't seem... Like, when you have a really messed up Jason Todd, it doesn't feel like a really messed up Jason Todd because he sounds like a young Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, special feature-wise, there are four shorts on there, and you know, I went through... I've only watched one of them. Oh, you but, missed out on... The Adam Strange one's really good. Well, I'll go back and I'll watch the rest, but there was one about uh, death from Sandman mm-hmm. that is absolutely incredible. It is my favorite out of all of these DC shorts I've ever seen. It was that good that I've even watched it twice and I haven't watched all the others yet. There's one about Phantom Stranger. There's one about Adam Strange, uh, Sergeant Rock, and then Death. Ooh, wow. Phantom Stranger and, and Sergeant Rock, two of my faves. So... I'm going to warn you, the Phantom yeah. Stranger one is pretty bad. Is um, it really? <laughs> I, I started it and I didn't finish it. It's pretty bad. It's done like a 70s uh, kind of like exploitation flick. Um, uh-huh. it just, it's just cheesy. It doesn't really work. Uh, uh-huh. It's it's kind of like Phantom Stranger hops into an episode of Scooby-Doo, essentially is kind of the vibe uh-huh. they're going for there. That's, yeah, that's the people no, in no the band. 
Yeah, you could actually light up the people in the van with the Scooby gang. You definitely know who Shaggy is. Yeah. Wow. But I will say, Adam Strange uh, is better than the the Strange Adventures comics that are being published right now. And, <laughs> and Sergeant Rock I enjoyed too. So, I mean, they're all it worth watching. They're all, what, 10 minutes around. long? Yeah. You know, uh, Jason Todd adjacent. Uh, are either of you or any of you uh, uh, reading the... Uh, Red, the the Red Hood book since Rebirth. You know, I, no. I've gone in and out, but I haven't picked it up in a while. You know, I have really enjoyed that. And I'm not a Red Hood fan or even a Jason Todd fan. Uh, but the Red Hood books since Rebirth have been terrific, particularly with uh, the addition of Bizarro to the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've really gotten a kick out of those. I've been buying them in uh, trade. Uh, as opposed to you know uh, monthly issues, but man, it's really a fantastic series, and uh, I, I've enjoyed those quite a bit. So uh, you know, if, if you're ever, if you're ever interested and you see a sale, pick them up. Hmm. I am interested. Talking yeah. about I, I, it's and it really it's the Bizarro character that makes the book for me. Uh, Bizarro's kind of on a journey like uh, the Hulk in that you know he goes from being you know big dumb brute to being you know Doctor Smart. Uh, I'm really getting a kick out of this interpretation of Bizarro. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, in other DC-related cinematic news, it was announced, I think, just yesterday. Yeah. 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 Um, Yesterday afternoon, as of the time of this recording, uh, that Michael B. Jordan and his production company, Outlier Society, are going to produce a DC movie based on... With Reggie Hudlin. With Reggie Hudlin, based on Static Shock, which is pretty great news. I'm super excited. Yeah, you know, incredibly we, excited. I love the character, but seeing Michael B. Jordan attached to it too, that just I have hope for it. Because you know yeah. I don't have hope for many of the DC movies. Well, you know, ever since uh, the fandom <laughs> uh, we have had a lot of, you know, good milestone developments. You know, we we've uh seen the reprinting of the first two volumes of Icon and Rocket, we've seen the reprinting of the hardware book. Um, you know, now we're starting to get some other media news as they promised, uh, you know, in that event, I am really excited. I mean, I think that, that the time is right, uh, for a relaunch of milestone. I am, I am wicked excited about this stuff. Well, you know, I read a funny comment online that said, you know, DC fandom next year could just be a repeat of this year's DC fandom with COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But, you know, I, I, this is all good news. I I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I burned through volume one of Icon and Rocket, and I am just about done with volume two of Icon and Rocket. Uh, I, I really enjoyed both of those. And I know, you know, you and Wayne are sitting on the fence waiting for it, to, uh, you know. Yeah, I just pay, uh, I just renewed my DC Universe Infinite coming next year. Oh, so I'm going no, to No, I'm wait. not sitting on the fence. I bought I, I bought the Icon as well. Oh, did you? Did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I I bought it right away when you said it was out. Well, I tell you what, you know, the, the, the books were published from 1993 to 1997. And, you know, here we are 25 years later, and we're having many of the same conversations that Dwayne McDuffie was addressing in those books. And it's it's alarming to me. Uh, how little things have changed in search because there is a, a whole lot of timely issues addressed in those books from a quarter century ago. Um, so you know, I, it, it's 
it, it's disheartening in a lot of ways to see that we're we're you know as a society we are walking some of these same roads uh, that you'd think that we would have grown past. But uh, it, it's, the books are fantastic, and I got to tell you, there is uh, an issue where they make fun of Luke Cage pretty hard. Uh, you know, it, it is it is a fantastic book. I, the, the the spoofing of uh, you know the parody of Luke Cage, and essentially, you know, it, it's the parody of white guys writing you know uh, black black characters, and you know, Icon, who's like, why does he keep talking like that? <laughs> you know, sweet Christmas, you know, and when I, when, and the character's name is Buck Wild. You know, instead of Luke Cage, I buck wild and every day is Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> really, really got a kick out of the book. Yeah. And he, his, uh, Buck Wild's arch nemesis looks an awful lot like Misty Knight. Uh, and she is fighting him with her P-whip. And when you're when you get struck by the P-whip, you're under her, her mind control. <laughs> <laughs> I like wow. Uh, was that rocket he referred to as Chunky? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's some fat shaming in the book. And, uh, you know, it's when, when uh, Rocket is pregnant, you know, and so she's like, you know, uh, three months along, start to show a little bit. And so one of the one of the bad guys calls her chunky and she about loses her shit. It's really I, I, I love the book. Yeah, love I'm really looking forward to finishing it because I never read the original ones. I read a few issues here and there, yeah. but not the entire run. And I couldn't haven't been able to get it since then. So I when I was reading it back in the 90s, I couldn't get all the issues. You know, it was like, you know, there was a period of time where they were just sold out when you'd get to the store. And, uh, you know, so so I'm seeing a lot of stuff I've never seen before. Yeah. And the static shock when it comes out, I think the big reason I have uh, so much love for this character of static shock is just nostalgia for the cartoon. Mm hmm. You know, I read some of the original comics, but the cartoon was when I was a teenager. Yeah. And it was tying into the Justice League cartoons, the Superman, Batman stuff. And, you know, so it was at a time when I was still growing up. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm loving I'm loving the reprints and uh, excited to see the rest of the line come out. You know, I'm, I'm ready for Blood Syndicate. So, yeah. oh, that would, I'm, I really liked Blood Syndicate back in the yeah, day. Same, same. Well, lots. You know, we're we're very DC focused for the first half of this cast because DC also announced. Was this yesterday? Also, was it a no? It was two days yeah, ago. Yes. Oh, I thought it was yesterday. Was was it not yesterday? No, it was Thursday. Um, I, I guess it's not really relevant. We <laughs> it was yesterday, <laughs> damn it. No, um, they announced their plans for a future state. You know, we talked a little bit uh, a little while back. We, in fact, we've been talking for a while now about DC's planned 5G event when they when Dan DiDio was um, you know editor in chief there, and since they've let Dan DiDio go, uh, they also kind of I guess I don't want to say got cold feet. But they got cold feet. Um, yeah, they got scared. Yeah, they got scared on their 5G event because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, basically the, the premise of 5G was very similar to the all-new, all-different Marvel. Where, um, you know, legacy characters were replaced with younger, more diverse counterparts. And that kind of really went to shit 
for Marvel. Um, you know, while we enjoyed much of many of those stories, like Sam Wilson, Captain America, Jane Foster, Thor, um, and some, uh, I think She-Hulk replaced Hulk. Like, they're, you know, pretty much most of the main characters were replaced for a short period of time. It, it, the fan, you know, the fan backlash really, you know, in the long run, they, people didn't love it, right? Um, well, and, and part of it, I think, was that it was a gimmick. It yeah. wasn't, it didn't feel natural. We had just got back Captain America, for example. Yeah. And suddenly all of them were changed all at the same time. Yeah. And right. it was, you know, it was like the third reboot that Marvel had done in three years kind of thing. Like no Marvel book ever made it to issue 13 um, before, because it was, you know, every year there was an all new, all different, all new, all different. Um, and so the DC's 5G was it essentially planned something very similar in that uh, Jonathan Kent would replace Superman, Luke Fox would replace Batman, an all-new character would replace Wonder Woman, we'd have a new Flash, we'd have a new Aqua, Aquaman and Aquawoman, um, just new characters across the board. And with it being canceled, you know, a lot of those books were already in development. And so what DC has done instead of doing that line-wide reboot is that at the end of Death Metal, in, at the end, the end of December, we'll, we will have a DC, um, I think it's called Generations or something like that, Generations yes. Forged or Generations yeah. Shattered, um, launch to two months where all the DC books will take a break and will be replaced with future state books, which are quote-unquote potential futures. But, you know, read, these are the books that we canceled <laughs> but, we, but we want to get our money back on them um, because they, they really had a lot of all-star creative teams and and artists and you know just a lot of stuff in the bag and so what so, DC, go ahead I was just going to say you know the, the break that they're taking is reminiscent of the Flashpoint break mm -hmm. and uh, the Convergence break right exactly uh, yeah. well so, and I suspect this is going to be kind of like Convergence where they're going to throw it all out there see what kind of sticks catches yeah. people yeah. and then they'll find a there'll be some equivalent of rebirth where they bring in whatever aspects of it really worked they'll find a way to work into the story absolutely yeah. i mean that's we had two how, or three we great Kent. yeah exactly you know the, the future state wouldn't exist without convergence and we got three probably two or three solid years of superman stories um out of that coming out of that event and so, you know, the way they're doing Future State is they're splitting it up the line into three families. There's Batman, Superman, and Justice League. And, you know, even though not all the books are, are titled to those things, they, they I guess they, they're kind of lumped into those categories. And some of them will be miniseries, and some of them will take on the... Um, kind of the anthology format of those yes. Walmart books. Yep. Um, and, you know, so we'll see, like, I think there's a Batman book that features not just Batman, but will also feature um, Grifters and Red Hood as backup features. And then there'll be another one that's got, you know, Batgirls starring Cassie and um, Stephanie Brown. Stephanie Brown. And, and I'm excited like that. about that one. And that one actually looks like it grew directly out of Joker War. Mm -hmm. Well, and Batman, the next Batman is the name of the book. Um or is the main feature in the the, the Batman book. Um, it's written by John Ridley, uh, but features art by Nick Darrington. So I'm super excited. There's no way that. I'm not buying that book. Yeah. Well, and there in in the Superman family and in the Batman family, there are darn few books I'm not picking up. 
I mean, both of those, both of those, those groupings of books look fantastic, even though, you know, as we saw in Flashpoint and Convergence, there's a lot of, you know, second, third string talent. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that I don't mean that to disparage what I what I mean to say is that they're not the name above the title uh, talent that that we see, like, you know, Bendis, you know, Matt Fraction, those guys, they're, they're kind of like the next generation of writers and artists so i'm i'm super excited about this i i i think this looks great and i like that they've got the freedom to tell stories you know and really kind of kind of kind of swimming for the fences because uh i i think that's where where dc does some of its best work is is in these alternate reality uh you know no holds bards kinds of story yeah, well, yeah i'm not as excited about the superman line but the batman line most of those i want and the book in the Justice League line that most jumps out at me, the Justice League Dark book, they're giving Detective Chimp uh, Etrigan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that just screams. Those are two of my favorite characters. I They can't take my money fast enough. <laughs> He's got to rhyme. Yeah. He's got to yeah. be a rhyming chimp. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I'm surprised that, that you say, say the Superman rhyme, books. Go ahead. When I say rhyme, I expect him to drop a beat with that as well you know i'm, I'm gonna need it to be i'm gonna need him to uh you know bust a move uh, bust a move you know, he's gonna be a a hip-hop demon-possessed chimpanzee that's what i want <laughs> well i feel like you're gonna be disappointed if you go in with those expectations but you never know <laughs> i gotta say you know wayne i'm surprised with you on the superman books because um superman of metropolis you know again the creative team's I don't, other than Cully Hamner on The Guardian, I'm not familiar with the, the other creative teams, but one of my favorite Superman arcs of all time was the, I think it was John Byrne, Mike Mignola uh, arc. Oh, yeah, Gladiator. Gladiator Superman. Yeah. Um, and the, the, that's basically what, what, you know, they've got Superman Worlds at War, um, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Michael Janine, who I think is a beautiful artist um or does beautiful art i don't don't know what the person looks like and (laughs) i don't know if they're beautiful in person but the art that they do is beautiful and i'm super psyched for that yeah what i didn't like about the superman line of books is the jonathan kent bottling metropolis that story i don't like that storyline idea i think you i think that is the way you protect your city you make it smaller and put (laughs) it inside a fragile environment i think that is absolutely the way you protect your city. Well, especially if that's the real Superman is off-world. Should... <laughs> that's what Batman should have done a long time ago with Gotham. What I you find interesting... Put it, put it in a snow globe. Yeah, what I find interesting is they talk about how Supergirl is unhappy with that. But in uh, one of the other books, Kara zor is Superwoman. So mm-hmm. who is Supergirl? Guess we'll find out. I, I gotta say, I'm actually very excited about the books that I see here. Now, in general, I'd be like, eh, whatever. Like I am right. Like I didn't pick up DC Death Metal this week, and I really almost did. And I'm like, no, 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 it sucks. But um, <laughs> the <laughs> the concepts here, the the cover art that I've seen, um, and I'm genuinely excited about some of these books. I will pick up probably more than half of them. I won't pick up all of them. Like there are some of them that I just don't have an interest in, like the Suicide right. Squad book or. Right. Um, you know, even the backup is just Black Adam. Like, meh, I can pass on that one. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think I gotta have that Black Adam book. You think so? I'm. Yeah, I think I gotta have that one. <laughs> I'm gonna pick and choose kind of harsh because I renewed my DC Universe into the new DC 
was it DC Unlimited, DC Beyond, whatever they're calling it. Infinite. So I know I'll be able to read all of these a couple months after they're actually out. Fair. So I'm going to pick the ones I'm most excited about to actually give them money for, and I'll read the rest a month or two later. So I'm, you know, I'm intrigued, especially yeah. because it's a view of it, it's a view of something that we didn't think that we thought was just going to get scrapped and we'd never see. Um, so I'm intrigued, and uh, so we'll we'll see that uh, future state event come in uh, January. And uh, you know, in the meantime, for an alternate reality DC universe book, we've got Injustice running. You know, we've talked about this for a few weeks now, both Injustice and uh, Deceased. You know, the Tom Taylor alternate DC universes, basically. And Aaron, I, I got caught up on my Injustice because you said this issue was so good. I, you know, I, I was amazed when you told me you got caught up because you were you were way far back. About four issues. Yeah, you had. I mean, that, that's that's a long way, Paul. Yeah, but you know, at least at least these are short ones. So that, did that you have helps. to? Did you like have to like hammer some protein shakes just so that you'd have the energy to? <laughs> yeah, to get I did. Through all I did. That? Yeah. yeah, I had to stretch some, some egg, some raw eggs. You know, <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, so no, not no on the eggs, but, but yes on the everything. <laughs> so, so yeah. you know, in in the in the pages of Injustice Year Zero Chapter Eight, Harley breaks uh, Poison Ivy out of Arkham, and uh, I, I was amused uh, at the uh, first page because you know it opens up and you know it's it's a cold, dark, stormy night they're at Arkham Asylum and you know they've got the uh the little you know text at the top of the of the panel that shows you hey this is Arkham when you've got the gate of Arkham that says <laughs> Arkham I was kind of kind of amused by that you know it's kind of like saying you know seeing the golden arches and McDonald's <laughs> uh, but yeah uh, Harley uh, busts poison ivy out of uh, out of Arkham and then the story really you know I'm used to a Poison Ivy and Harley story kind of being crazy, you know, and this is very much the story of an abused woman yeah. and how Poison Ivy, you know, responds to that. Because, you know, uh, if you recall in Chapter 7, uh, Joker used Harley uh, really severely you know he he took over her body and you know subjected her to uh, some tests because he's trying to you know perfect his control over uh, uh, this new power he, he's he has obtained and you know it's caused her to, to hurt herself and so she's bandaged when uh, you know she she uh, liberates poison ivy and Poison Ivy goes off. And I love how uh, Ivy attacks Joker. And, I mean, you know, just really, you know, essentially says, touch her again and I'll end you. Yep. Uh, but And I, she won't kill her because Harley would never forgive her. Yeah. And I, and I thought that was a, a very effective uh, device in the story to explain why she just doesn't kill him. You know, because she she for whatever reasons, for whatever defect, you know, Harley has, she does care for Joker. And, you know, that's the reason why why Ivy won't kill him is, you know, uh, Harley'd write her off. I, I, I really enjoyed those pages and was super surprised at the ending of the book. I, I guys, I didn't see that coming. I don't know if you guys did, but I was super 
super surprised by the end of the book. I was too. And, you know, are we going to spoil it here? We yeah, should. Do right? it. Do it. That, that Harley and Ivy get married at the end of this issue, um, which, you know, I was surprised by. And I, I thought it was a great ending. But, you know, after it, I was like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> and then I re- and then I and then I relooked to the original because this is a prequel. Right. Yep. So I, I you know I checked out Injustice Gods Among Us, you know, year one. Mm-hmm. And Harley's back with Joker there. So, you know, you know that, that, that clearly this isn't gonna last. Because I, I you know it took me a while. I was like, well, maybe Harley wasn't with Joker in Injustice when Joker, you know, used the fear toxin and and made Superman kill Lois Lane. But no, she was. So she she clearly goes back to him, regardless of well, what happens in this book. Joker also has a mind control device that may come into play as well. Fair point. Well, and I think and, that's going to be a big part of what eventually leads up to that. Well, I think Harley loves Ivy and Harley loves Joker. Yeah. Right. And I think that Joni uh, loves Chachi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that Ivy marries Harley knowing that, you know, so they may have, you know, a uh, polyamorous marriage. I have to say, this is one of my favorite Ivy co- or Harley costumes out of any of them. Yeah, it is a good costume. I love this design. It it kind of blends a couple different features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I I love this book. You know, tip to toe. I, I I just I really enjoyed this book. You know, getting caught up on this, it it made me realize that. And I don't know if Aaron, you ever finished it, or Wayne, you ever finished it. I I hopped out of Injustice. I am behind ago. on it. I've been basically what I did is I quit buying it regularly and I pick up the trades on sale to catch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I so. finished year one. I don't know that I haven't finished year two and then there was year three and then there was, um, injustice versus master of the universe. And now injustice year zero. I have to say there is, uh, I, w- I wish that they hadn't changed the numbering you know, between, you know, year one, year two, and then there's another, it's not, I forget what they call it. It's an, it's injustice. And there's like some subtitle to it. Um, I got confused as to where things go, mm-hmm. you know, and it's almost like I need to go to a website to tell me what's the reading order of these books. I mean, I find, I find it very confusing. And I, I, I think that's something that comics does a lot, you know, because they, they want to keep coming out with issue ones. Um, and if here I am, you know, an experienced comic book reader, and it confuses me, what the hell does that do to the general reading public? Yeah. Injustice Ground Zero. Ground Zero, the... that's what it is. Huh. And I that's didn't even know that was I a thing. I've read. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, thought I have not. Ground not Zero wasn't a. It wasn't like the next season. It was going back and telling the same the story, all oh, from yeah. Harley's point of view. Yeah. Huh. So it was like a side thing that you don't have to read out of the whole thing. And I have not. <laughs> it's, it's all Harley's point of view. Because yeah. I think Injustice 2 was the end of the Tom Taylor story arc. And I think someone else took over for a little bit while. And then Tom Taylor maybe came back and finished it, if I remember correctly. I don't know. But clearly, you know, it just it got away from me. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, reading the reading this book has made me want to revisit them, and because they're such right. bite-sized entertainment, you know, the, the trick is there's there's just so damn many of them. There's so much of it, yeah. 
But yeah. I, you know, I, I really found uh, this issue of, of Year Zero very rewarding. I, 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 you know, surprised at the ending. How often does that happen anymore? And, you know, just enjoyed all of it and, and found so much truth and honesty in the way the characters were responding, which stands in direct contrast to what I was I've been talking about going on in the pages of Batman, you know, that I don't believe the decisions that he's making. I think Batman's a bad, bad guy. Uh, I think he enables the Joker to do the horrible things Joker does. And here we are talking about, you know, two villains, right? You know, two characters that usually operate on the other side of the law. And I understand and believe their characters more so than I do our hero. Yeah. And the other surprise in this book that, uh, since we already spoiled the Ivy and, uh, hardly get married mm-hmm. ivy's already a mother at this point yeah no it's uh it's uh harley harley that's or harley yeah, yeah harley is already yeah. a mother at this point yeah 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 they never say who the father is and i yeah i am wondering about that so you know now we are at the andrew portion of this <laughs> week's episode <laughs> of fine books need- do we need to have some you know some bumper music here you know it's the andrew part it's the andrew part I think that was it because I'm not editing anything. (laughs) I'm not throwing that in. But, uh, you know, so, Andrew, I'm glad that you called in today because, you know, we're going to talk about some stuff. I'm sorry that one of those things happens to be Rorschach number one. Yeah, I was kind of torn on Rorschach number one. Uh, You know, the first issue from uh, DC Black Label by Tom King, who I who I love and uh, Jorge uh, Fornes, who I don't know very well, but. It was really kind of a, a mixed bag. I feel like it might be better when it's collected into a, a, a trade because this first issue very much left me unsatisfied. Well, what what about the rest of you guys? We all read this book. I dug it. Really? Uh, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a first issue. So there's, you know, more questions than, than answers in the book. You know, it's just setting the table, uh, as it were. But I I loved how 70s noir it is. Uh, you know, you, you, you feel like you're watching one of those, you know, seventies cop dramas with, uh, maybe Gene Hackman. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I dug it. I, I, I like, I like the way it felt. Um, it feels very much like, uh, something happening more in the HBO, uh, Watchmen series. Like it fits a little bit better in that universe than perhaps the comic book universe, uh, but yeah, I got a kick out of it. I, 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 I like the way this book looks. I like the way this book read. I didn't love it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I've got, I'll be curious to see how issue two picks up. Um, but yeah, I, I like the questions that it's asking. I like the universe that we're sitting in. That was my first major question was which universe is this? Cause they talk about something happening in another city that I didn't know anything about, mm-hmm. or at least I couldn't. Tie yeah. it to any of the things we've seen. Well, I talked about what happened in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. And was that uh, from the TV show? Because I that's they talk about it in the TV show. And, you know, the timing isn't right because uh what happens in the TV show happens further down the line. You know, it happens, you know, uh uh later, right? So this this story would appear to happen prior to the HBO series. Uh but I I I I was curious as to, you know, I assume they're talking about uh, what happens in Tulsa, 
which would have happened before the events in uh, in Watchmen, the comic. But uh, I, I again, questions. I, I, I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, I can't piece together which universe this is in and what hasn't hasn't happened. Right. Uh, I like the design of the woman vigilante here. Mm-hmm. They don't. Laura. Really, yeah, because they don't give code names for any of them. Uh, I like the mystery reveal at the end. And other than that, I didn't think the book had any real substance and it felt like I wasn't getting a story. I well, did not care for this, but I think it may be good collected. I agree. I, I think yeah. that, that that some of the weakness here is you you don't get a firm footing into the story they're telling just yet. You know, that it almost feels more like prologue or an, or a zero issue. Yeah, it's it's a little too mysterious and vague for me without yeah. being able to go into the next issue and read and kind well, of flesh out more. Because who is, I mean, Turley's running for president, but why are Laura and Will there? Why are yeah. they on the catwalk? Are they protecting him? Are they, you know, there's so many things that you that they just kind of don't flesh out around yeah. what they're showing you on the panel. Well, and let's be be honest. This is the way Tom King tells stories now. Tom King tells stories where, you know, part of the question that he's asking in his story is what the fuck's going on? What story are we telling? Uh, and I find that frustrating. I feel like Tom <laughs> you know, King is writing is... too high on his name and not enough on actually telling a story that's engaging. And that's part of my issue with this book is that, you know, there's a mystery and I don't mind a mystery, but there's not enough. But he's like, you know what? Because I'm Tom King, you're going to have to wait four or five issues before something really interesting actually happens yeah. <laughs> um, that will engage you. And that's why I'm dropping out of Strange Adventures until it's over. Like, yeah. I, it's too much of a long game for me. Well, I and think it, that storytelling fits with the Watchmen universe, though. I agree. I agree. It's well, and, you know, this is what Tom King did in Strange Adventures. It's what he did in Mr. Miracle. It's what he's done in, I mean, just just about uh, uh, Heroes in Crisis. I mean, all of these stories are, are very much what the fuck is going on. You know, not not, hey, who murdered Bob? It's what what's going on in this story? And, you know, I sound really frustrated with that because I am. Uh, but there was still enough here in this first issue that's going to bring me back for issue two. Yeah, the interesting thing is when you look back over his work and the things I've liked and disliked, he did that in Vision as well. But in Vision, it didn't bother me. Yeah. Like reading issue to issue wasn't the problem in Vision because I think there was enough there versus some of his other books. I dropped Strange Adventure as well. And Miracle Man, I went back after the fact. Or Mr. Miracle, not Miracle Man. I do the um, same thing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> because I just could not read those books issue to issue. It yeah. frustrated me too much, but they're really good when you read them collected. Yeah. And, and you know, reading this, uh, the art style, I thought really this was story was taking place like in the 1980s or some such. But, uh, you know, it's in 2020, according to like that last page. Right. Uh, which surprised me a bit because it seemed from the the art aesthetic seemed something from out of the 1980s. Well, that's a that's a good point, Andrew. Uh so that does place it after the HBO series, which I have not seen. Yeah, yeah, because so the, the HBO the series was, was early. Was where? When did that take place? Uh, it was it was 2018, 2019, I believe. Okay, um, I could be wrong on that, but it was it was in the 2000s. Okay. is when it was set. No, so maybe right. it was 
maybe it was earlier, but uh, so the Oklahoma, the events in Oklahoma they're talking about is probably the events of the of the HBO series. Gotcha. But you're right. The way it's drawn makes it look like it's a 70s or 80s. I mean, that is exactly the cover. The cover is is so much a, a late 70s, early 80s. Uh, uh, pulp uh, mystery novel. Well, right? it's not just the the stylistic. You know, it's not just the style and the coloring. It's literally the way the characters are dressed and, yeah. and their hairstyles and all that is you know yeah. very much invokes the seventies. But they, it it very clearly says it's twenty twenty and right. you know and, and so I that that did catch me a little bit off guard um, because I was like okay well this takes place probably early eighties. Um, yeah, you know, after the events of the original, uh, or yeah. whatever, late '80s, after the events of the original, because you know the, the '70s and the '80s. If you go back and look hairstyle and clothing wise, there's not that much of a difference. But yeah, it just I don't know. There for me, it was. I found that the it, it didn't have quite the same level of engagement and stylistic, whatever. Like it, it didn't grab me stylistically. And story-wise, as much as even before Watchmen did, you know the right. Darwin Cook before Watchmen books, or the um, Amanda Connor ones, or mm-hmm. you know even the Jay Lee one. But you know th- this one just didn't engage me as much as those, or hell, even Doomsday Clock. Yeah, uh, and, you know, and so and clearly, <laughs> I've named now four other comics that I've read in relation to Watchmen. So clearly, I'm a fan, <laughs> um, but this one just didn't grab me. Yeah. Well, I, I'm in for issue two. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, you'll have to I, let I me know if it's worth a damn. I will. You know yeah, I will. I'm, I'm going to wait for trade. I'll uh, uh, if Aaron's going to read it, I'll read it just to see if uh, if it gets any better. Because I do feel like once you put this together in in a you know four or six issue graphic novel trade yeah. paperback, I think it'll read a lot better. I agree. So you know, Andrew, you had the benefit of reading Seven Secrets this week, reading all three issues at the same time. This this series is amazing. Uh, I'd heard you guys say uh, kind things about it uh, the first couple issues, but uh, it is a, a great series. I was a little worried from the covers that the art style is going to put me off a little bit, but the right. story is so good that the uh, art doesn't bother me uh, that much, and uh, it's a fantastic story. Uh, and I, I enjoyed uh, issue three just as much as I enjoyed the first issue. So uh, somehow every issue still manages a surprise ending that gets you pumped for the next issue. Well, and I'll say uh, every issue has – I've had an emotional reaction yeah. to every single issue of these books. I mean <clears throat> the uh, – I, I, I am amazed at Tom Taylor's – the other Tom that we're talking about this week. Uh, <laughs> Tom Taylor's ability to pull me in and you know evoke such emotion from me. Uh, but, you know, Andrew, I'm really curious, you know, when you when you started off in the series, uh, what was your what was your thought? I mean, you know, as you as you kind of moved through these three issues, what were your perspectives on the book? Well, so, you know, the first first issues uh, kind of very much setting the stage. But unlike Rorschach, it does it pretty successfully. You know, it kind of identifies the the key story elements along with like, you know, the the seven secrets and the the order that protects them. It, you know, establishes keepers, holders, all that good stuff. So you really kind of builds your world and, and doesn't leave you with at least you have some questions, but not too many questions. And right. then the, on the emotional side, you know, it develops this great relationship between Sigurd and Eva so that when uh, uh, 
the kind of crushing uh, finale of the first issue comes about and you see uh, one, one of the main characters, you know, not make it out. It, it really kind of hits you right in the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the second, you know, uh, issue is probably my least favorite of the three. It's still good, uh, but, you know, it's kind of it builds the um, uh, development of Caspar and kind of along his growth and development kind of fleshes out more of the uh, the world around the seven secrets uh, kind of shows his growth from a, a young child into, uh, I guess we're saying what, probably late teens, maybe uh, by the time we get to issue three. Um which was fantastic. I love the fact that the Queen of England has a secret seven phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the way that, that Caspar dealt with um, um, going through the, the emotions and what happened with um, how he kind of dealt with some of the trials that he was faced with mm-hmm. uh, really kind of helped me kind of bond and kind of develop his character and what type of, of man that he's growing up to be. And then, of course, you get the... Uh, Increasing relationship between him and, and Ava, which is really, really good. Oh, yeah. The kick to the emotional gut from this one was him talking about uh, his father and saying, I don't know if he ever liked me, and then being shown a gift for every birthday. Yeah. And, and he, just, he even talks about that in the, the first or second about how he never got to know his dad. His dad was always cold to him, but then right. uh, he found out later that that wasn't necessarily the case. Well, and it was a requirement of the order, right? You know, yeah. that, uh, you know, e- Eva and Sigurd were not supposed to have been intimate. They were not supposed to have a child. And, you know, they did. And so, you know, Caspar uh, has been raised off site for much of his, his younger years and then brought on to the to the grounds to be trained in the ways of the order. Um and I, I, I just I love that scene where, you know, it, it's revealed that, you know, despite what his father was allowed to do, he he, he you know, bought the gifts, he put them away and, and they were you know provided to him after his death, which leads into the you know, I, I like that scene. But the scene that got me is that you know, here we are in an order that doesn't allow these emotional connections uh, between its members and his mother tells him, she says, you know, I, I have to tell you what Sigurd, uh, I have oh, to tell yeah. you uh, what Sigurd, I need to say what he never had the chance to, but it's dangerous. And he's like, you, you, you know, Casper says, you know, you, you can trust me. It's okay. And she says, I love you with my whole heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that got me. I, that it absolutely got me. Uh, well, the, the fact that Tajana gave them a choice, which was, you know, unheard of, that Tajana right. gave uh, Ava and Sigurd the choice, like, you can leave all this behind, uh, you know, you can stop being the holder, stop being the keeper, and just raise your child, you know, amongst the order, and then they still, you know, pick their duty, really kind of, was kind of a key character development for both them, and then how they relate to, um, or how they're kind of tortured over, um you know, how their relationship with Caspar uh, as time goes on, because they could have been with him. They could have been his parents. They could have raised right. him. Right. But they, they made the conscious choice. No, we're not. We're going to give him away. Yeah. I also enjoyed, you know, as you were saying before, you know, this story merges, you know, two two primary elements of, of, of the of the timeline. One, it, you know, talks, it, it buries Sigurd and we memorialize Sigurd, but it also runs Caspar through the trials. And I love that in uh, one of the trials, he Captain Kirk's it, right? Yes. Yeah, that was amazing. 
<laughs> you know, he totally Kobayashi Maru's that thing. I was just like, that is that is fucking awesome. I I love this book. I think of the three issues, this one's my favorite. Well, I love I love Titus's uh, how Titus loses. The, I like how Casper wins. I also like how Titus loses the trials. <laughs> yes, backs yeah. me up. And then, uh, how would you feel to be that guy who discovers the boat with the tarp on it? And he's like, uh, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, <laughs> I got something over here. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's a really, really good book. I'm glad how it uh, feels to be him is not very long. <laughs> I'm really Scattered, glad you guys <laughs> talking about it so I could, uh, read all three and, and catch up. I'll definitely keep, keep reading it. It's a, it's a great book. Well, highly recommended. Uh, if you're not reading Seven Secrets, be sure and pick it up. It is a win. From so, yeah, from Boom Studios, and you know, I, I, you know, I, I frequently forget to look at what uh, Boom's bringing out, and you know, Boom is is uh, producing two of my favorite books right now: Seven Secrets and Once and Future. And uh, we don't have it on our list this week, but Once and Future number twelve came out this week, and it was fantastic really caps off what I would uh, characterize as the first uh, first and second uh, story arcs in the uh, Once and Future uh, book. It's really, really very good. But now it's time for the big reveal. Why <laughs> we asked Andrew to join us this morning. Uh, Wait, is it, because, is it because you guys missed me and wanted to talk to me again? <laughs> no, that wasn't it. <laughs> no. Uh, of course we missed you, Andrew. <laughs> We've been pining for you. Oh. Yearning, yearning. In fact, that's that's the word Wayne used last week. I'm yearning for Andrew. Yearning. I'm hoping I'm able to fill that void, Wayne. <laughs> uh, but you know, many have tried. <laughs> Kieran Gillen, uh, a, uh, a a favorite here at the podcast, uh, has come out with a uh, new Warhammer comic book. Um, it is Marnius Calgar, and I'm sure I'll get corrected on that pronunciation. Uh, but it came out this week, and we needed somebody on our team to, uh, you know, be the Warhammer aficionado, the War Matter subject matter expert. And that was none of us—not <laughs> me, not Wayne, not not Paul. Uh, but we knew that Andrew was such a guy. And so we have asked Andrew to join us today to shepherd us through the the vast and myriad ways of all things Warhammer. So, I mean, how much what what level of detail do you want on this, Aaron? Well, I you know, Warhammer is uh, is, you know, a a small little slice of story. Right. I mean, you know, there's there's not a lot to it. So, you know, there's only there's only 35 (laughs) years or so into it. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean. For those who don't know, uh, Warhammer is a uh, there's both Warhammer 40K, which is their sci-fi line, and there's Warhammer Fantasy, which is their fantasy line, which in my opinion coexist in the same timeline. But anyway, um, the uh, it was created by a company in Britain called our uh, United Kingdom called uh, Games Workshop back in the 80s, um, and the general concept behind Warhammer 40K was space opera. Uh, it's set in the year you know, 40, 40th millennium uh, from our current time, where uh, in the grim darkness, there's only wars or kind of famous tagline. Uh, you know, it's based around originally a kind of role playing game called Rogue Trader uh, and then fleshed out in the tabletop game that most people are familiar with, which is just called Warhammer 40,000, where different factions uh, essentially buy for dominance in the universe. But uh, back in the 90s, uh, they started putting out um 
some uh, graphic. Uh, there was a monthly anthology series, which had both kind of prose short stories and uh, comic um, stories told in it. And then they started putting out novels. And there's a huge kind of uh, aspect to the lore behind Warhammer, which brings us to the most recent comic put out by Marvel, which is definitely kind of out of Marvel's usual, uh, you know, capes and spandex type type books that they put out. So Kieran Gillen, uh, love, uh, you know, Journey of the Mystery, Wicked the Divine, uh, great books, uh, titled this one. And it's telling the story of Marnius Calgar, who is the chapter, ma- chapter master for one of the Space Marines uh, chapters. A uh, lot that we could talk about Space Marines, but essentially they are uh, genetically engineered warriors uh, that fight the battles for humanity uh, alongside other things like the Imperial Guard, which is kind of the more normal type military. So Marty Skelgar, famous guy, he's the current head of the Ultramarine chapter, uh, and it picks up with him kind of in the current day and then flashing back to his childhood. And I believe it's five issues it's going to be, and it's going to tell his origin story, essentially, through these flashbacks. So, so, yeah, so he, this is a character that exists in the existing Warhammer 40K yes. storyline? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. Both and, in the tabletop game along and along the novels, yeah. Okay, and has his origin story been told before? No, to my knowledge, and I'll say this. So I was very, very, very into Warhammer for, I don't know, the 90s and the 2000s. And sometime around 2010, I started falling out of it. But uh, to my knowledge, his origin story has never been told before. Gotcha. Okay. I'm glad you asked that because I was wondering if he was created for this series or if he was a new character. No, he's an existing character. Yeah, and uh, my impressions. Well, actually, before I say my impressions, I'm actually kind of more curious because I've been saying a lot of words. Uh, what did you guys, as people who have no background or experience with Warhammer, what what did you think about the book? Aaron, you want to start us off? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I I like the art a great deal. Um, I did not enjoy the story. Yeah, and the the reason that I say that is I didn't understand what we were fighting for. Yeah, uh, I didn't understand. Yeah, I didn't understand what we were fighting for, why we were fighting. Um, I, <laughs> it kind of amuses me that you tell me that you know the Ultramarines are are, are fighting for all mankind, and uh, because I, I didn't gather from anything I read in the book that any of these people were actually good people. Well, um, I mean, humanity both in current day and in the far future you can't really <laughs> classify humanity as being good people uh yeah, but it's fair. definitely more in, in the far future humanity on the whole is a bit darker than our current humanity but still humanity i mean the the part of the book that i did enjoy uh was the the you know him as a young man right you know yeah. training it, it seemed very dunish right mm-hmm. you know uh but you know, that story takes up, you know, it doesn't feel like it takes up a whole lot of space in the book because it's bookended by, you know, the Ultramarines, you know, campaign and whatnot. But uh, I enjoyed that middle part. It was just the the, 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 the the part that's in present present day, I guess, in terms of storytelling. Um, it just it just seemed like uh, violence for violence sake. And I just didn't understand what was going on and why. Yeah. Okay. That's that's very fair, pa- Paul. What did you think? So first, let me start with a complaint. Yeah. Um. I and it's a minor complaint. I, next, I, I would actually say it's almost a major complaint. 
I am very much a fan of Kieran Gillen's voice, not just his writing, but his voice um, in, in like his personal voice, like his the way he brings his personal um, history and, and, and mindset to a project. And so what I appreciate about Kieran Gillen books that are truly passion projects are that he generally has an essay at the back. And I feel like that's something that was missing in this book. Um, because I feel like if we had had a Kieran Gillen essay at the back, he would have explained some of the things that we just asked you to explain to us. <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah. and, and also explained why he's the writer for this book, you know, uh, and why he chose to write it, why, you know, it's a project that he accepted that kind of thing. That's a really good point because from what I've read is that Kieran Gillen is is uh, reportedly a big fan of Warhammer. So oh, yeah, I think is. you're dead right. I think him putting an essay talking about his love for it and why he loves it would really added a lot to this book. I get Kieran Gillen's weekly email, and he is a huge role player, huge war gamer, loves, loves, loves Warhammer. Yeah, so but I didn't get that point, out of this Paul. book, you know. Uh, I did not right. either. No, yeah. And I shouldn't have to go. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all are online nowadays. But I almost, you know, I would have preferred to, you know, see it in the context of this book. Now that being said, I actually did enjoy the book. Um, on the flip side, you know, I, 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 I'm intrigued. I have very little interaction with Warhammer. You know, I'm familiar with Games Workshop. I think we talked about this recently. There's a Games Workshop store. Um, in my area, I'm always fascinated at the miniatures and, and things like that. And, and I, I used to play the, the video game Space Hulk back in the 90s on my PC. Nice. Um, but that's, that you know, that was basically Warhammer meets Aliens. There wasn't much to it. It was kind of like a Doom type game. Um, but I used to I used to play the shit out of that game. So I have mm -hmm. very little familiarity. But reading this book, I'm actually intrigued at the world. I, I like, um, I, I appreciate and agree with your comment, Aaron, that you don't know who to root for because they all kind of seem like bad people. But I gotta right. say, that's yeah. honestly that's kind of a storytelling standard nowadays. Whether it's Game of Thrones or or Yellowstone or most of the media that I seem to ingest nowadays, all the, the good the good the heroes are antiheroes, not actual well, and heroic. I don't people. have a problem with that, but generally there is someone who is charismatic enough that I'm going to root for. Mm. right well, and i yeah. didn't find that character in this book no and and it's hard to make space marines charismatic because to an extent they're not supposed to be charismatic depending right. on what, what chapter you're looking at i guess but um in, in marnius calgar in, in my experience hasn't ever really been a, a super charismatic person you know he's a, a great war leader and, and whatnot but um for, for me, there were parts of the book I liked, much like Aaron. I loved the flashback. The best part, I think, of the book was the flashback to his training. And I'm hoping that the next issue is going to focus more on that and less on the, the current day storyline. Because I felt the, you know, rushing off to, you know, fight off random heretics that showed up was just kind of excessive and pointless. Now, it may turn out that that was a distraction for whatever was going on, you know, Nova Thulium uh, on its moon. Uh, with the Sons of Horus showing up at the end. Uh, so that may wrap into a larger plot point. But at, in the first issue, it seemed kind of pointless and a kind of a waste of pages. Um, so, and then my big issue is that I, I don't understand why Games Workshop often goes to the Ultramarines for being their kind of Space Marine chapter they use for big products, um, whether it be computer games, movies, or uh, comic books, because I find them the least interesting and least um, 
intriguing of the Space Marine chapters. Uh, there's nine Loyalist chapters with a bunch of different successor chapters, and there's so many more interesting ones that they could have told the story about that I think would be more appealing to people and draw them in more way to know more. Uh, the Ultramarines I've always found bland, dry, and and not something – they're my least favorite chapter to read about by far. I, I have to say I've always been interested in Warhammer but but have never been able to figure out – you know, it's like jumping rope. When do you get in there? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's what I've never been able to do is is find that entry point, and this wasn't it. No. You know? And I, Really, I think a good starting point would have been them to start with something like a story in the Horus Heresy, which happens about 10,000 years before this. And uh, essentially, it is the the great saga of how uh, the emperor is betrayed by half of his sons um, who then turn on him. And there's a huge uh, kind of civil war. And all the different things that lead into the current day are kind of established during that 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 civil war that rages across the uh, galaxy. Um, but it's such... I find it has such more story beats and much more uh, great interest and in, in mm-hmm. excitement in that that period than the one they're telling it now. Well, just uh, hearing you describe it makes me want to read that book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's, it's really it's right out of like some great uh, saga. It's it's you know it's a great war leader with eighteen sons. His you know he leaves the the war fields behind him, the battlefields behind him to go home and work on on his own projects. Leaves his greatest son in control of all of his armies. And that son convinces eight other sons to join him in rebelling uh, against his father. Um, it's fantastic. It's actually, actually what's the, really the only kind of media I'm reading is their their book series. There's about 50 novels in the Horse Heresy wow. uh, Jeez, series over the past uh, 15 years, I think. Uh-huh. And they're they're wrapping up. It's we're to the siege of Terra, uh, which is where the War Master Horus has uh, you know brought his his rebel uh, brothers, and they're sieging Earth at this point. Um, and it's it's fantastic. But so now you know why we invited Andrew on the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Andrew, I have a question book. for you, given yeah, your knowledge. Yeah. Because something very much confused me in this book. Because they make a very specific point in a couple of different pages of the book to say. To refer to life expectancy. Like, oh, life beyond 40 is unlikely. Life expectancy is generally 30 years old. If if you make it beyond 12 as part of the trials, you know, then you get into this. But then it it refers back to centuries earlier. So Marnius is centuries old, even though the life expectancy is 40 at most. Yeah, so that's a good question. So life expectancy in the far future of the 41st millennium varies wildly depending on how rich you are and what planet you're living on. So if you're a rich person on pretty much any planet and you're just a regular human, there are what they call juvenile treatments and regeneration. You can live on for hundreds of years. Um, Space Marines... The original space marines were effectively immortal and would never die from old age. They would only die from violent death. Um, the current space marines are are less are more affected by age, but they can still live hundreds of years. Um, the so the the life expectancy apparently on this world is around forty, but it kind of depends where you're at. Like there's if you're living in the underhive of a giant, um, you know, kind of dystopian urban future you know your average life expectancy might be 20 years because you're going to die in violence in the street somewhere um but so it, you know varies wildly but when you're referring to the 12 year old um that's kind of part of the space marine um process mm-hmm. so uh there are these glands um that a, every space marine grows inside their chest 
uh, I might pronounce it wrong, but it's like pro- progenid glands. So the way you make more space marines is that when a current space marine dies, you rip this organ out of their chest, and then you use those to implant into new space marines. Uh, so they take these young children, which um, I did see an interesting headline on Polygon that says Marnius Calgar reminds us that space marines are child warriors or child soldiers. Mm. Uh, yeah, I kind of yeah, found that amusing. But um, so, yeah, so they, they want to find the very best, you know, being turned into a space marine is very taxing, trying uh, ordeal mm-hmm. to go through. So they only want to use these glands on the very best candidates. Uh, and so the different chapters have different ways of going about that, but they all kind of consist of taking the best of the best of youth. And you have to have that done to you when you're little. You can't have them implanted to you when they're younger because it's less uh, less likely to succeed. So uh, they tend to take these children, put them through trials uh, to find the very best. Uh, and then they will take uh, that selection of them and then implant. And then along each step of that stage, many, many of them die. So out of all the kids who want to be space marines, there's only a few that get selected. Out of the ones who are selected, some reject the the glands and die. Some of them get mutated into horrible monstrosities or put down. And some make it through the process and become space marines. Yeah. So, I mean, you see, that I, I, I find the idea very interesting. I find the universe very interesting. I, I feel like this was bite-sized to maybe not overwhelm. But I will say, you know, as a 4 issue series, I'll, I'll pick up the second issue. Um, and, and if yeah. the second issue is good, then I'll continue with it. When you guys had mentioned this coming out, I said, oh, why are they doing Space Ultramarines again? I just, I, it's not, I'm not going to like it. But then I was like, but I'm going to buy it because I buy a lot of things out of Warhammer because <laughs> I'm a fan. Um, so I'm hoping they focus more like, and I thought the art, uh, I haven't touched on that. I thought the art for the most part was really good, especially yeah. from yeah. his, um, childhood, like, uh, that, uh, the mentor Sirxix, I thought the, the art, uh, style on him was, was fantastic. The design on him, the anvil that shows up on the, the planet, uh, the moon yes. to threaten them was, was, yeah. I thought great. Yeah. I do find that he has a little issue with drawing Terminator armor. It seems like, like the regular space Marines look pretty good. But like Marnius and a couple of the other guys who are in the big hulking Terminator armor suits, I find they just seem a little awkward when he draws them, I think. I feel like Marnius should be wearing a helmet. That You know what? That is a great point. Uh, You know, a lot of the miniatures they make are helmetless so that you can have dynamic facial features. Uh But we all know the first thing you do as a soldier is you're going to put your helmet on. So if you get shot in the head, you might have a slightly better chance of living. Um, So, yes. it just seemed like, you know, if I was out there, hey, shoot that guy in the head. You yeah, know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No issue, too. Yeah. <laughs> done. Well, so, we appreciate uh, you bringing your uh, your expertise, Andrew. Yeah. So and let me tell you, if you're interested in, in some slightly some other uh, former graphic novels in the Warhammer 40K universe, uh, a couple of good ones to read yeah. uh, that are out currently. Uh, Exterminatus by Dan Abnett, 2016. Really good. Well, I do like me some Dan Abnett. Uh, an older one. Uh, it's black and white. It was put out uh, originally in this anthology series, Warhammer Monthly, but it's called The Monofuge by Kev Walker. Uh, it follows the uh, Sisters of Battle. Really good. I like I Kev like Walker, too. Kev Walker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Lone Wolves is another one by Dan Abnett, also uh, a really good graphic novel set in the Warhammer 40K universe. Huh. huh Might check that. those out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Andrew... Yes, thank sir. you, for, thank you for uh, for uh, you know sharing your knowledge because uh, we would have said, "Wow, look, Space Marines," that would have been our review. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, I think if you're a Warhammer fan and you're interested in Marnius Calgar, I think it's a good story to read about his origin story. If uh, you find Ultramarines horribly boring, probably not for you. If you're new to the world, um, I, I kind of like. I don't think the first issue was the best introduction uh, to the I would 4K agree. universe. Yeah. yeah, Aaron definitely agrees. Yeah, I, I would agree. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Next week, there are some interesting books coming out. You know, we, 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 Aaron, you referenced how some of the aspects of the Warhammer 40K universe, at least portrayed in this book, were sim- felt similar to you to Dune. Mm-hmm. Well, next week, Boom Studios uh, releases Dune, House of Treaties, uh, by Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson, uh, with art by De- Dev Pramanic. Um, which is uh, adapt their acclaimed prequel to the groundbreaking Dune in comic form for the first time. So, so this is this is an adaptation of the book, of yes, the novel. by by the novelist. Yeah. Does it say how many issues? Um, it does not. It just says issue one. Yeah. I need to know how many issues. My, guys... my my concern about these kind of adaptations is that so many times they never finish. <laughs> Fair. You know, this was this was designed to come out to uh, you know hype up the new Dune movie, uh, you know to to adjoin that that sort of uh, you know media extravaganza, and of course you know everything's delayed right now. Yeah. Um. So, but I you know I read the novel, loved the novel. Um. I'd be interested in seeing the comic, but I want to know how many issues. <laughs> well, from Marvel Comics, we have the new issue of Maestro. Uh, we also have the second issue of Iron Man from Christopher Cantwell and Kafu, uh, the, art, yeah, uh, the art by Kafu. I like issue one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Aaron will pick that up with me. Um, I'm going to check out preview pages of the new Werewolf by Night miniseries. I want it to be good, Paul. The cover's nice, yeah, but it's I written by it. someone whose name is Taboo, so... I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't have is that high hopes. First name or last name, Paul? That is the name. Um, <laughs> and, and when you click so his Paul, name Aaron in Comicsology, there's no other credits. <laughs> yeah, Aaron and I are going to need you to buy that one early on Wednesday and read it and give us a report so we can decide whether we're going to spend money on it. Well, actually, you know what? I just it, it actually explains who Taboo is in the description of the book. Taboo is one of the Black Eyed Peas. Um, oh, I, I, he's Native American. Um, so I think. Uh, and the character on the cover looks Native American as well. So I think that's you know, the, the tie there. Hmm. Um, all right. And from DC Comics, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal Robin King, which I really don't want to buy another Death Metal book, but <laughs> I'm really interested in the in the Robin King. Um, uh-huh. We also have Batman White Knights presents Harley Quinn, issue one. Uh, it's a Harley Quinn-focused book in that White Knight universe. And Batman issue 101, which I think none of us are buying since we all hated Batman 100. Is correct, <laughs> and there's a free Battletoads comic book from uh from Titan Comics. So Battletoads, Battletoads. Wow, I haven't th- thought of Battletoads in a long time. Well, apparently Simon Furman has, and I like Simon <laughs> Furman. He, he he does the uh, Transformers books for IDW. So I'm I'm good. it's free, free ninety nine. I'm picking it up. Free ninety nine. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to know what you thought about this week's books. We want to know what you think about Andrew. Give us a call at 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Or maybe you win Andrew. You never know. <laughs> I, I am available. Let me know. <laughs> you can also hit us up on social media, Geek on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Andrew, always a pleasure having you on. Good talking to you guys. And today. you are welcome back anytime. Anytime? Anytime. Ah.
<laughs> so, you know, like 3 a.m. on a Monday, I'm calling Paul. We'll have you call, on. Oh, I was going to yeah. say Colleen. Call <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Bye. See you guys. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.